Okay. So next on our agenda, we have the amazing Julia King-Tamong. Um, I met Julia probably two years ago through LEARN. And when Faith and I were down in San Diego at the LEARN conference, we really had the pleasure of uh, having Julia do a presentation, uh, several that we were able to participate. Uh, Faith and I went down there looking for good presenters for our summit that we're now experiencing today. And Julia was one of those that we um, selected. Julia is the Director of LEARN's Contract Programs Division. She has over 15 years of experience in the field of contract training, selling, and presenting. For 12 years, she worked at the University of Oregon Department of Continuing Education as the Assistant Director of Continuing Education and the Director of Corporate Education. She was responsible for the department's contract training program and the management of its Portland, Oregon continuing education site. She has worked with some of the Oregon State's biggest businesses, including Intel, US West, Port of Portland, ADP, Hewlett Packard, and more. Her responsibilities at that time included sales, contract management, hiring, curriculum development, and quality control. So now I'm going to stop share Julia and let you begin. And her, she's give, actually gonna do two presentations for us. The first one will be contract education trends and her second presentation after a 15 minute break will be negotiation presentation. Thanks, Margaret. So I'm, first of all, want to say I'm very happy to be here. And before I begin on this trans report, I want to tell you a very short one minute story. It's my COVID-19 story. And that is that those of you who've known me know that I've um, been trained as a priest for a very long time. And when COVID-19 hit its peak in Oregon, pastoral care calls were very, um, the need was very high, especially among healthcare workers and family. And so you are officially my last job in my secular career. I'm retiring today at 315 and I couldn't oh. be happier. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. I couldn't I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, and I could not be happier to be with you in particular and seeing that map just made me double happy. So, but I just wanted to explain the bald head and the um, unusual robes. It's not usually what I wear for my learn jobs, but I was at the monastery working when we got the shelter in place order. And so this is the, uh, the clothes we wear and the haircuts we have to do our pastoral care work. Wow. Well, we're so fortunate to have you with us for many, many reasons, Julia. So thank you for Thank you for agreeing to do this as you're so near your retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Within okay. minutes. I think that's kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to mute myself and just enjoy your presentation. Thank you. All righty. Okay. I just want to let you know that I can see the chat window. So I, I should be able to glance over every once in a while and see if... Um, see if you have any questions. Just let me know. I'm going to, pardon the pun, but zoom through these slides. And then if you have questions at the end, if we have a little time, you can ask or you could ask over the break as well. <clears throat> so we always do this report in a similar format every year. We talk about the top 30 fastest growing occupations. And really, I'm not trying to give you the specific ones that you should focus on, but just kind of the texture of what the growth areas are. And I'll end, and I will do this today, I'll end with LEARN's recommendations for you 
in the coming year based on the trends reports. This is one of my favorite things to do at LEARN is to give this contract ed uh, trends report because uh, I just think it's fun to forward think and to look at the collision of social trends and all of that. I do also want to say that this trends report was written and submitted before the COVID-19 virus hit. So you'll have to apply your own wisdom and current uh, thinking of the moment to this. So I'm not going to read you the list of the top 30, but you can read it as I go along here. And what I want you to notice is that 17 of these are healthcare related specialties. Those of you who've been in this area for a long time will not be surprised about this. <clears throat> healthcare is one of the nine uh, industries which have just shown upward growth, just enormous growth. And of course, we tie this back to the trend of aging baby boomers, that is my generation and maybe some of your generation. Um, so it's not a surprise. And you're seeing things here, I think, that you would see. And maybe these reflect some of the trainings that you do, or maybe these kinds of trainings, some of them at least, are done by other uh, institutions in California. So you can keep that list and you can check it out. And I think the slides in the notes have the source for that. So the top tools for workplace learning, this is also something I look at. And again, no surprises here. We have some surprises this year, but this is not where they are. PowerPoint, Google search, YouTube, Word, Microsoft Teams, Slack, which I use every day, all day, Zoom and Google Drive and Docs. So what we're seeing here that I say is not surprising is we're seeing things for collaboration, we're seeing things that make it possible for, to collaborate, for us to collaborate across a distance. And just like we're doing today, this is popular uh, among the clients that we serve. The top tools for workplace learning, continuing Excel, Articulate, OneNote, WordPress, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn Learning. So again, no real surprises there. I make this list in part because if you don't have these tools or you don't have someone that knows them or you don't know or use them yourself, you might want to do that. We're including <clears throat> continuing with Dropbox, Camtasia, Twitter, Kahoot, which is the only one on the list that I haven't used, and Snagit. This is one of my favorite slides every year. So what are the soft skills that are likely to be popular this year? I do quite a bit of research on this. And this year, when I'm looking at this, what I'm seeing is it reflects the changing age of the workforce. So we're seeing skills, soft skills that would be important. And by soft skills, I mean human skills, communication skills, conflict skills, negotiation skills, creation skills, teamwork skills, anything that makes people perform faster, better, and more effectively. So this year, it's going to be creativity, adaptability. Boy, I wish I had $50 for putting adaptability on the slide because if we've had to do anything since COVID hit, it's be adaptable. Time management, which has been on this list for about a decade. Collaborative principles and processes. So people know they have to collaborate and they have the tools to collaborate, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to collaborate, does it? So now that I'm living here at the monastery full time, most of the workers here are millennials. And so the abbots and other leaders are my age, but the general workforce person here are, is millennial. And so what I'm finding is that they know how to use all of the technology tools to collaborate, but they don't necessarily know how. Now, because they have good 
uh, spiritual training, they're, they're good people and good collaborators and they want to, they just haven't been trained in that. Yes, somebody is saying, Rosemary is saying, many of these fall under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. That is absolutely true, Rosemary. Negotiation has been on this list for six or seven years. It's been one of Learn's most popular training things, which was good news for me since I'm one of the people who teach it. So any app or technology for getting work done, and there are just so many out, it seems like I, I get online uh, and every week that goes by, there's a new app for collaboration and getting things done. We all know, and I'm sure in California, you are so far ahead of the curve on this, but that inclusion is a really important topic. And so, of course, you've probably been doing training on this for years. And then one of my favorites is the emergence of failure, not as something we have to deal with, but as something that we uh, come to value and that it's, it's now considered a meaningful part of the process. And so one of the things that I do in education in general and in workforce education is that I look, I do a literature review and failure was big in the literature for the last two or three years. Uh, someone is asking, is this a national survey or is there a different geography survey? I do a national and in fact, I have some international sources that I use because I, sometimes the international can tell us what's coming down the pipes for us. So how accurate this is depends on where you are uh, regionally, right? So we can say, and even within the state of California, California is almost like its own uh, nation. Maybe that's a joke right now, I think, because your governor is being proactive. But, but um, these things will apply differently even in different parts of your state. All right, this is another favorite part of my report. You can tell I just love the trends report in general. I always think I can't believe I got paid to do that. It was so interesting. So seven technologies that will shape our lives. This one I'm beginning to see, even since the time I put the slide set together, I'm beginning to notice more and more of this among the business clients that I served in my last several jobs with Learn, and that's artificial intelligence as a service. So artificial intelligence for customer service, artificial intelligence for operations, what I mean by AI as a service is that now we'll be able to feed our own data into someone else's artificial intelligence capability and we'll be able to pay for that time that we use. So you could be thinking then companies like Amazon, Google and Microsoft will be the, the purveyors for that. Oh, well, what else is coming down the technology pipe? 5G data networks, I'm pretty sure that California is pretty wired up by now and we're watching this come and you're aware, of course, of the controversy around this. What it will give us is super fast connectivity and super fast upload and download, which will help us with this collaborative work that I'm talking about. And it'll give us more stable connectivity. So our monastery is out uh, really in the middle of a farm area and I can tell you, I would love to have more stable connectivity. Another thing that's coming, and I think this is just crazy interesting, and I don't honestly know how much it's going to affect your business, but uh, it's autonomous driving. And so we think about individuals having cars that drive them around. That's a fantasy of mine because I'm not really fond of driving, but I like to ride in the car. But don't just think like that. Think about, and this is where we may see it in contract education, is transport and shipping. So think of Amazon delivering its own goods, not paying drivers to do that.
This one, I think, will be absolutely huge. And we see it already in everything from wearable devices, and I've really had my eye on this for about five years, to kinds of things that are happening in large HMOs like Kaiser and others. And that's personalized and predictive medicine. So what do I mean by that is we're now able to capture data from wearable devices that will allow us to predict and treat health issues. So for example, I have a colleague who has sleep issues that are causing him to have executive function loss. And that means sometimes he can't read a uh, clock or he can't read a spreadsheet. And this is one of the smartest guys I know. So they've got him hooked up to a few wearable devices and they're now finding out that he has sleep issues. And so very early in this dysfunction, he's able to get some help that's tailored to him based on actual data, not so much guessing. I'm really, really excited about this. So that means that our generation and the generations that follow us will have this customized medicine or precision medicine is sometimes called. Well, computer vision, I, this is a real good news, bad news thing. And I'm very, very interested in the social dialogue about this, not only in our country, but I go to Asia for training in my, in my um, pastor's role each year. And I see in Asia, this is also a very hot topic. <clears throat> computer vision, so this is the ability of a computer to identify objects, places, and people, and that's where the controversy is, from those collected by closed circuit cameras or other kinds of devices. So think of smartphones that recognize your face. I'm looking into my camera right now that's uh, on my desk in front of my computer, and that camera has a little square over my face, and if I move, the little square moves. So it knows it's looking at a human face. And not only does it know it's looking at a human face, it knows whose face it is, I'm pretty sure. So. What, how that will come into our work is probably first in, besides security, will be in manufacturing lines. So these same cameras that can look at people can look at items going down your manufacturing line and say, oh, defect, 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 and pull those defects out. So we're gonna keep our eye on that. It's causing a lot of controversy. It's also going to open some doors and windows for us. I'm very excited about it on the whole, and we'll just have to decide how to use it for the greater good. All right, now I'm going to talk a little bit about what I'm going to lump into the category of extended reality. So let's talk about that. It covers several new and emerging technologies that are being used to create immersive digital experiences, which will impact training and have been impacting training. Big companies like UPS, using this kind of training to train drivers for the holiday season when when the, the number of trainers that they the number of drivers that they need is so high they can't train them all in trucks they don't have enough trucks in the fleet to do that and then also uh, i had uh, work in canada where they were using this kind of technology to train dump truck drivers for those big mining dump trucks that are so big that if a driver in training made a mistake, it would be a complete disaster. So first one is virtual reality. So this would be the headset that you put on and usually some goggle wraparound kind of things. Your uh, kids and grandkids might be using this for um, gaming. Uh, I've been following virtual reality since it was invented and I met, I remember meeting, gosh, 
in the early 80s, a guy named Jerome Lanier, who was one of the pioneers of virtual reality at a computer graphics conference. So this has been around for a long, long time, but it's better than it's ever been before. I saw an interesting thing the other day on the internet that was um, an art museum in Europe, and you can tour the whole museum, all of their beautiful collections, um, the main collections, um, in virtual reality. I also saw a castle, Salmon Michel, that you could visit it with uh, virtual, virtual reality technology, which I just think is wonderful. Then we have augmented reality. So augmented reality is where you overlay digital objects onto real world by smartphone or other displays. So if uh, you have heard of or use Snapchat, that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. And then there's mixed reality. Mixed reality is an extension of augmented reality where the users interact with digital objects. So imagine that I have um, a harpsichord in the room and I'm playing the room or I have a piece of hospital equipment in the room and I'm using that equipment. That's this kind of thing. So, so far that technology is employed mostly in recreation and I know about that because parks and recreation were part of the communities that I served but I think that they will soon make it to the training market. Okay, and then the last one. Now this one's maybe not in some ways as important or as sure as the other technologies, the other six, but this is blockchain technology. And it's actually, to be honest, the one that I know the least about. So a digital leader, <clears throat> ledger, sorry, is used to record transactions and they, these are secure because they're highly uh, encrypted and highly decentralized. So think uh, a common usage of this would be digital currencies. So some people say, no, this is not going to show up. It's going to be in the realm of digital currencies. Even that might go away. But in my research, I found that FedEx, IBM, Walmart, and MasterCard tested its use in 2019 and said, yes, they're interested in testing more. So let's learn something maybe about block place, uh, blockchain technology. All right, what are the top trends, the top learning trends in 2020? Now, the reason that I talked to you about the top learning trends is because we need to know how our clients will be learning. And there's a lot of shift in this this year. Some of it is the solidification of trends that you've seen probably in the last three or four years. And then there is a little bit of it that's new, new shift. So I'm quite interested in this this year. So right now, millennials are the largest group in the global workforce. And by 2025, they'll be 25%, 75% of it, sorry. So you need to check California's data, of course. But I just want to say they're, they, are, they are here and they're not going to ease up. So 56 million millennials, this is a US statistic, by the way, not global, between the ages of 21 and 36 will enter the workforce in 2020 alone. So the key to successful learning programs now will be, and this, this is the way they learn because it's the way they were educated. So they're looking for continual, so ongoing learning, responsive learning, that is, it, the, the tool that's used for me to teach myself or by which I'm taught can tell whether I'm getting it or not. 
to do relevant skills training. Now, I, I chose those words really carefully. So if you've got these handouts in front of you, you might circle them. The keys are continual, responsive, responsive and relevant skills. So the next thing is self-driven. Now, this has been a learning trend for, gosh, five or six years. But what I'm seeing is there's a certain pressure in the workplace right now, and learning is more important than it's ever been before. People have to learn more, learn it faster, learn it better, but they have less time. So I saw the beginning of that trend almost a decade ago when a first client asked me, it was somebody in Kansas, um, it was the National Weather Service, maybe it wasn't Kansas, maybe it was Oklahoma, National Weather Service, and they had a group of scientists who said, we want you to give us an eight-hour class, and we need it in 15-minute chunks. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about, 15-minute chunks. And they said, we can't afford to let these scientists out of the workplace for an entire day. And so we ported the whole thing over to iPhone and we delivered the whole class in 15 minute chunks. Today's learner, today's learner, and I think this is a very interesting thing and, and surely you relate to this in your own life. I certainly do in mine. We have too much access to information. And so one of the things that we're going to start to see more of is we need the people who build our classes or somebody to do that for them to sift through the information that's available to teach contract clients and figure out what's important and what's less important. So this is an issue in instructional design. This is called scoping the curriculum. You can't teach it all. And so the scope that we teach will be now directly related to skills and performance. So there'll be no more of this habit that we've had for gee, 50 years of just picking some content and teaching the content. We're going to be teaching content that's directly traceable to skills performance. When I read about curation, because I'm just interested in it personally, what I saw was that with curation is such an issue now that companies are saying, we've got to have people in educational institutions We've got to have people who are full-time curators of information. Isn't that interesting? All right, so another thing we're going to see is bite-sized bite video nuggets. And I like this, and bite-sized does mean really small, really short video nuggets. And this is even showing up here at the monastery. I'm noticing it. We are taping the lead and most expert teachers here at the monastery, and we're putting it in three to five-minute videos. And the younger students are just totally, they love this thing. Mostly they're watching this stuff on their cell phone. So you get a minute, you're waiting for the photo machine to print something, photocopy machine to print something out, and you just log on and learn a new skill while you're there. And that's the way people will be learning now. 22 is a global figure, billion videos are viewed each day. 22 billion. Let that number sink in. That's kind of depressing. I think. 16 billion are cat videos, but besides that, mobile viewing is key now, and that's what fits the millennials' learning style. I ran across a couple of pieces of research, and I cross-checked it between the research because I, I wasn't even sure the first time I read it that this could be true, but that viewers could retain 
95% of a short video message, not a one hour video, but a three to five minute video. So short animated videos, explainer videos, whiteboard animations, which are very popular right now, and interactive videos. We're gonna be seeing lots more of that. Social learning. So most learning right now in business, and I think this is no surprise, is is peer-to-peer -peer knowledge transfer. So this means the classroom is not the key delivery model right now. It's peer-to-peer -peer knowledge transfer. Retention can be up to 75% with social learning. Why? Because we can say, I need to know this right now. Do you know how to do this? Somebody says, yes, I can teach you that. And then right there face-to-face, -face, we can say, uh, did you get that? Did you understand? And we can do remediation if they didn't understand. So what we're looking for is common sense, real life, need-driven, peer-to-peer, expert-level learning, as well as crowd learning. So when you think of crowd learning, think of standing around the water cooler, teaching each other, or leaning over your cubicles, teaching each other. AI and chatbot. So if you have... Um, interaction with AI and chatbot and you're not in manufacturing or healthcare where maybe this is used a lot, you might have it in your own home with Siri and Alexa. It also can be used, adaptive AI can be used for very simple kinds of quiz making during lessons and that kind of thing. I think it's not great, but one of the young priests when I showed her this presentation here in the monastery said, oh, uh, I have an AI program that I use. Would you like it to write the trends report for you, the national trends report for continuing education. And I said, of course, I'd like it to write that report because then I could just collect the fee for writing it and I wouldn't have to write it. And we were joking, of course, but she typed in some keywords and an hour or so later, she came back with a trends report. And I gotta tell you, it wasn't too far off the money. All right, talent development. I've been talking about talent development at LEARN for five or six years. And what we're seeing this year is not surprising, but it's really clear this year. So one is that talent developers, those people in a company who are responsible for making sure the workforce has the skills it needs, will spend more time analyzing where the skills gaps are among the workers, and then working with you guys to find out how to close those skills gaps. They're also going to be looking at ways to increase learner engagement. So this new generation in the workforce and the generation that's coming behind it in the workforce, the learner engagement is something that we'll need to work on a little bit because they have high uh, high expectation of the teaching and learning process because they can go online. Your greatest competitor in one sense is YouTube and Google right now, not the college down the road. So your clients are going to want your advice about this. So somebody on your um, contract education staff should begin to gear up around this. And I'm sure you've got people, you'll just have to be clear at each site to identify who they are. So what we're looking at as a change, and some places did this years ago, and some places are not yet on board, is that we have to refocus our training people away from content towards results. So the concrete tip for doing this is get your trainers to start with the outcome when they develop a course. 
what skills gaps, what performance issues are you trying to improve and base the class and ask yourself at every exercise, at every section of the class, what does this particular part of the curriculum do to close the skills gap and to get the people to have the knowledge, the skills and the information that they want. But the real emphasis this year is skills. And I think it's going to take some retooling for some presenters. Well, here's some good news. Now, again, I'm not quite sure how this is going to collide with COVID. And you probably will know more about that than I do at this point, because this, is, this has all transpired really in the last month or so. But less than 30% of talent developers are saying that a limited budget is a constraint. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that's news. Since 2017, 59% of talent developers say they spend more on their budget on online learning and less on face-to-face. -face. So no doubt you are making that shift, but expect that shift to continue. What I think is interesting is that, and I cross-referenced many reports to see how confident I was in this trend, and I feel quite confident. So executives are supporting their training departments and their talent developers more and more. By supporting, I mean they're listening more, they're resourcing them more, they're raising their budgets. What that means to me is you, we have to be sure, well, I guess it's not we, and in one hour it's not me, it's you. So you have to be sitting at the leadership table. So building those long-term relationships, getting the confidence, getting the relationships at place. I think your organization your system is one of the best that I've worked with in terms of making this happen. We can all be better at it. So skills and knowledge are changing faster than ever before. I keep saying that every year, but it's just speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. So your number one focus right now should be finding and measuring skills gaps. And so I hope you'll get some training uh, on that. We can always be better at that. That increasing learner engagements, and also the other piece that I found that I think that you'll be actually really good at is developing career frameworks. So employees are starting to say, and I think in part this is driven, what's well, driven by so many trends, but in part it's driven by people wanting to stay marketable because of the volatility of the market. And so they're wanting to know if I stay here or if I stay in this career path, what does that path look like for me? And we should address that as part of the training process. So how do we, I keep saying it's important to, do, to uh, acknowledge these skills gaps. How do we do that? Assessment tools, looking at key business metrics, which means you need to find out what the industry is measuring and then listening to leadership feedback. So I'm aware of time here. I want you to know we don't have much slides yet um, left. Here are my recommendations for you. Market more inside companies this year. So get yourself to the leadership table and figure out how to market. Don't depend on the companies to market for you. And I know that you guys know something about this already. Email marketing works. So I thought since I was gonna tell you that you shouldn't be marketing, I should do some research to see what's working. Email marketing works. More than half of learners at work discover their next training through an email, and they also now are listening to their managers. So those things I think are important. Also listening to peers. 
help your clients brand their learning and development departments. Most clients still in contract education, not so good at that. So keep working with those people. So what about learner engagement? We can only increase learner engagement if we understand the learners that we have. What I can tell you is about um, millennials is that they like their cell phones, they like customized content, they like it on demand, and they like collaborative work. So I think that's good. We need to continue learning so that we know what Gen Z wants. And the missing key is to get managers to recommend the courses to their employees. There was significant surveys this year, um, the usual people who do surveys, but saying that managers' opinion about whether or not an employee should take a course was significantly impactful with employees. So be sure that the managers connect the dots for them and make sure that the managers are um, recommending your courses to their employees. Then when the training's done, so now I want you to really listen to this last little thing here. When the training is done, we are accustomed to, to doing evaluations, right? And I want to just raise a question for you. And I want you to look at this carefully this year. I've been in contract education since 1982. I know a lot about the time and energy and expense that we put into uh, making evaluations happen and using those evaluations as part of our decision-making process. And I'm going to tell you that the trend is evaluations are less important, big shift, less important than what leadership says about the, re the results and the impact of the training on the employee's performance in the workplace. So feel that shift and talk about that uh, at your meeting and afterwards. Okay, who are the new learners? More smartphone learning, they want social work pace learning, even baby boomers, half of us want that. 71% of Gen Z wants social learning in the workplace. Over half of all generations want collaborative work with the instructor in the class. So no more sage on the stage, it's more now the guide on the side. Today's learners really expect to control their own learning experience. And this is not surprising because they've been teaching themselves on the internet now since kindergarten. So recap, continue to be an ally of strategically planned learning, help employers identify skills gap, curate the best content for teaching. So lots of content's not as important as the best content. Keep managers engaged as your allies. Try new ways of marketing inside your client companies. Use customized content. And now the quality of purchase content is really good. Though as a learned staffer, I'll tell you that of course erodes your product, um, your profit margin. And then help your customers understand today's learners. You are really the expert about that. All right, that was it. I went over by a few minutes, um, but that was a lot of information. And if you have questions, you can type them into the chat, but I think that it's uh, break time if I'm right. It, it is, Julia. Thank you so very much. That, that was amazing. 